Arthur, thanks a lot for taking the time. We're thrilled to have you. Uh, thank you, guys. I just heard the tail end. That made me laugh because you said uh, you weren't even alive when Pavel played his first game. <laughs> well, I definitely know. <laughs> I can assure you uh, I was. Uh, and I'm like one of about 90,000 people that claimed they were in the building that night. But that's another story. <laughs> Well, we've got uh, we've got a bit of an age gap between the two of us. Uh, I was of that age that, you know, Pavel was larger than life and was the reason that drew me into the Vancouver Canucks, Arthur. Uh, Israel is obviously a little bit younger. He caught more of the tail end of Pavel's career. Um, yeah. But I, I want to start with sort of, we all have memories and this week it was talked about, about that first game and sort of the realization of Pavel's ability and what that meant for the Canucks. But you had sort of taken over control of the team from your dad in the late 80s. Uh, I think it was in 1988. Pavel was drafted in the sixth round of 89. And then there's two years before he sort of actually makes his debut. And, you know, it's been well documented, the, the challenges of getting his contract bought out in Russia. But I'm just wondering, was there a moment before that, you know, his when he first stepped on the ice for the Canucks that you started to get excited as the owner or you had sort of high hopes, whether it was from, you know, Pat Quinn or, you know, Mike Penny, Brian Burke, when did you sort of get the real sense that this, this could be a franchise changing player? Well, I, 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 so the history behind his um, ability uh, wasn't as well documented as they are these days, of course, with respect to video and whether, whether there's someone on their phone that wasn't going on in those days. So it was limited, uh, I'll call it visual, uh, uh, visualization of his capacity to to be special. Um, so in large part, whether it be Michael Penny or, as you mentioned, or other scouts or, uh, um, or, or of course, Pat uh, Bryant, uh, who witnessed his, um, his uh, prowess, I guess. Um, that was really the main source uh, I had. Uh, but as we got closer, is, is to your point, um, after we drafted him, uh, we, we, you know, so like, you know, as you mentioned, a year and a year and a half, uh, the, the, the legal finaglings, moreover, uh, a challenge by the New York Rangers that, uh, that we drafted a player uh, that was not eligible, uh, despite um, the evidence that we presented. Um, so there was a threat, if you want to call it, for lack of a better word, that he would be put back into the draft, ironically, in Vancouver in, in uh, 1991, um, which was, we weren't going to have it. Um, so we went back to uh, the league. The league said to us at the time, you need to provide us with the uh, proof. And so what did that mean? We had to go back to Russia. Uh, and our sources all across the globe to get to believe it, to, to, be, to be honest, and I guess it makes sense. We had to demonstrate that Pavel's name was on a certain number. It was eight or nine, uh, I'll call it professional games uh, and or elite games, because they could be non-professional, for example, playing for your national, uh, national team, um, as, they, as there was an example of one of those. So he needed right. to say was challenge we got it we proved it now fast forward uh he's getting closer to coming and we were you know especially brian who was masterful in negotiating the exit from russia down to california then but <laughs> that's a book in itself it's, I, i'm sure it's documented in brian's book uh you know you you, you have to imagine all of the because because the upside 
which we certainly was borne out. But my goodness, that first night was something to behold. And just imagine that the excitement that still people remember like it was yesterday. Uh, the excitement people have. And he didn't even score a goal. <laughs> just watching him that night. Crazy. Arthur, uh, with your connection to the team and, and obviously that that era specifically, uh, we actually we talked to Brian a couple of weeks ago on our show uh, to, to yep. help promote his book and, and go through some of these stories as well. We asked him about coming over with Pat in, in, in the late 80s and, and try to kind of reestablish what it was like to be a Vancouver Canuck, what that meant, uh, how that that pl- that team would play on the ice, the types of players that they were trying to bring in. Right. And uh, Pavel was certainly, you know, a, a, the crown jewel in terms of, of ability in, in that uh, in that model. Uh, you mentioned the first game. And as you said earlier, you know, this is legendary performance, even though he didn't score. <laughs> uh, given when you looked at, at the history of the Canucks up until that point, did that did that really just changed the way that people viewed what could be possible on the sheet of ice in Vancouver. Obviously, through the 80s, a lot of people had seen the Oilers and and the great stuff that they were doing, even the Flames winning some championships. But all of a sudden, here was a guy that uh, that played at that that breakneck level, that elite level, and he, and he was playing in Vancouver. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I started working at the Canucks uh, 1980. Um, in 1981, there was a, you know, uh, and so my, my career at the Canucks, essentially what I did every day for work was from 1980 to 1997, 98. Um, um, now what my dad and I were focused on in the mid eighties, uh, 85, 86 was finding somebody that we could hand over um, the franchise to build on the ice uh, and in, and in part off the ice. And so what we, what we were focused on, as I said, is, and I remember my dad being asked the question. I still remember it was, remember it was like it was yesterday. Pat sat across the table from, from my dad before uh, he joined the team. Uh, and he said to my dad, so what would you expect? From me, what do you want me to do? What's my measurement for success? And my dad says, bring back respectability to the team. Not that we didn't have it in the past. It was just at that time. It was a pretty uh, uh, pretty difficult times, both on and off the ice. So it was a pretty clear message. And he said, not the Stanley Cup. He said, believe me, we'll have plenty of respect if we win the Stanley Cup. Let's just start with respect. <laughs> And that was my dad's sense of humor. And long story short, it was it was the it was Pat, it was Brian before Pavel, it was Trevor, it was the some of these trades. And honestly, um, you could just feel it going into the office. One of my decisions at the time, by the way, when Pat joined, is I physically moved my office out of the Coliseum. I moved downtown. I'd already been there by this time, uh, seven, eight years. Uh, so I moved out of the building and Pat was kind of perplexed by that. Where are you going? I remember that too. And I said, no, no, <laughs> this is your, this is your, uh, business. Here's my office. Here's the keys. Uh, out, out, out I go. And he goes, he said, Oh, and I said, because I don't want anyone to be confused that there's, 
who's who's in charge and long story short it was it was a was a great uh period of time because that's why people look at it and go wow that was the best move but it was a long process to get there starting with pat and then it then it was a set a period of i call it for the next 15 to 20 years i think it really set the image of the franchise on and off the ice now pavel comes along and a once in a generation player let's be honest Pavel could play today with that kind of capacity to perform. He, he, there aren't a lot of players, not every player I should say, he, he would still be a top three player on any franchise today at that level and that skill set. That isn't the said today that that would have been the case before with many players, obviously Wayne, but not a lot to be said. He was, I know, I know one of the greatest judges of talent to me that continually and obviously promoted him right through to the Hockey Hall of Fame that promoted him was, um, was Scotty Bowman. I remember listening to talking to Scotty one day and he goes, Arthur, this guy is belongs in the hall and he is one of the greatest players I've ever seen play. And, you know, for him to say that, you know, that says enough to me that I, I, I could just put my, drop my mic. Yeah. Scotty has seen a lot of players and, and not only did Pavel have phenomenal skill, but I think he really was ahead of his time as far as physical training and, and the shape that oh. he was in. Um, really quickly, before we shift to the, the Vancouver Grizzlies and, and your role in bringing the NBA to Vancouver, uh, maybe just a final thought. You would have been privy to a lot of, you know, both Pavel's career on the ice in Vancouver, but also personal moments away from the ice. When you yeah. think of that time, Arthur, what, what are the, what's sort of maybe the strongest memory of Pavel's time in Vancouver that comes to mind for you? Well, I never in the franchise history I've ever seen a player, uh, uh, do what he did on the ice. That's I'm, I, I mean, that's no disrespect. And I think most people be, you know, in terms of his ability with puck uh, and, and, and frankly, without the puck, because even if he didn't have the puck, people were paying attention to him. So that side on the, uh, on the off ice side of it, it was, you know, people have a lot of impressions of why Pavel left and so on. And, and by the way, uh, the day he was announcing that he wanted to uh, uh, be traded, uh, he called me up which was incidentally another rare thing that just never happens. Never happened to me prior and or since. Um, and he said, can I have lunch with you? And I said, um, okay. And that's when he said, he says, Arthur, it's just really hard to breathe here. It's really hard to function. I, I can't even go to the grocery store. I can't. And, and, and I'm even still to this day, if Pavel Burry was walking down Robson street, people would chase him physically chase him. And that's a, that's a tough thing to do, particularly when you come from a country and a culture, when someone's chasing you, they don't just want your autograph. They want a piece of your clothing. <laughs> they, they, you know, and so he had no life. Uh, and I, and I respected that and he was straight up and he was honest about it all. And he just felt like this was a, a massive fishbowl that he couldn't escape from. And I'd been with him in Moscow, incidentally, uh, you know, subsequently, not, not too long ago, a, a couple of years back. And I saw him walking through uh, a, a place where I was working in Moscow. I saw him walking through and people would say, hello, hi, Pavel. You know, there weren't, there weren't mobs of people chasing him down the street. So I understand why he left. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of his, uh, what he did on and off the ice, uh, our, you know, individual and personal stories. I respect him for, uh, and for what he did for this city. Uh, this franchise and, and candidly made a lot of other players uh, better, um, which is also a nice thing. 
Arthur Griffiths with us on Sportsnet 650. Uh, I have to ask about the Grizzlies because while I wasn't alive for Burray's debut, I was I was alive for the Grizzlies. I was a young, crazed Grizzlies fan, uh, which might sound strange to say given the, there wasn't a ton to cheer about on, on the court, but I just had such great memories of, of going down to the to the arena and, and watching that team play. Uh, it was a process to get the NBA here. Uh, we all know how it ultimately ended six years later. But when you look back at, at that period of time, uh, what's your your favorite or, or, or your your best memory when it when it comes to the positive aspect that the Grizzlies had in the community? Well. There were a lot of doubters, of course, that the franchise wouldn't, there wouldn't be a franchise. And then after there was a franchise that it wasn't going to work. And then after, as they were leaving, there was all kinds of other impressions left in people's minds. But let me, let me uh, say that the decision to go after an NBA franchise was, was founded on a few, uh, on a few principles. Um, There are people who I know for all of us who love hockey, there are people who aren't hockey fans. And um, this was another form of entertainment, albeit through sport. Uh, there is no doubt that the NBA, even then, it's, it's, and to this day, one of the greatest sports leagues on the planet. Um, so when you talk about why you do things, well, you should try to attain, uh, uh, in this case, uh, go after the very best. Uh, obviously, the NFL wasn't going to work in the arena. So... Uh, the NBA was a natural. So from our perspective, it was selling the NBA on us and then us onto the fans. And you point out something in your childhood where you loved it. And it's funny, we all know the record, but it wasn't that as your reason for loving it. You loved the entertainment. You loved the energy, which is exactly what the NBA is all about. You, in those days, the NHL, for instance, call it the 90s, 80s, you could pretty much guarantee who was going to win the game after 40 minutes of play. The last 20 minutes were shut down. Now, that's changed now, luckily. But the NBA was all about, and still is, the last minute or two of the game. So what does that mean? Well, that means that you stay close to your seat. You're, it's drama. It's excitement. And you might be happy. You might be sad at the outcome. But you were entertained. That's what it's all about. I mean, we are in the entertainment business as owners of sports franchises, uh, those, those who are in that position now. And, and I think that's why the NBA was so successful. And, and I add this, if you look at our franchise um, attendance, first five years, I, I, I think the sixth year was, uh, was an attempt to demonstrate, which it was demonstrated to the league. Uh, a deliberate one uh, that the franchise wasn't going to work. Therefore they had to move. Uh, it was a, it was a plan. Um, but prior to that, we were by no means uh, the worst draw in the league. We were in the, still, we were in the top 50% of the franchise in terms of, uh, and we weren't a winner. So what does that mean? It means that the city was here to support the team. And obviously earlier in its, in its uh, franchise, uh, we, we were better off uh, than later. But we really, really demonstrated that there was a fan base here. Clearly today it would be massive, just massive. I get asked more about Grizzlies coming back or the NBA than anything else in my past where someone asked me on the street, what about basketball? Would it come back? And the answer is, in my view, yes, under the right uh, ownership uh, structure. 
uh, I think the NBA would come back and be wildly successful. Unfortunately, <laughs> uh, I was balking at 125 million, but today you're probably looking at closer to two billion. Well, it was also during that time, Arthur, and not just exclusively to the NBA, but um, you know the expansion sort of rules that were in place were not beneficial yeah. for teams yeah. getting off to uh, yeah. constructive starts on whether it's the ice, the court, the field. And, um, you know, unfortunately, the Grizzlies didn't have a long enough runway. Um, before we let you go, sort yeah. of in, in along the vein of the Grizzlies, uh, we were yeah. chatting this week about that sort of, I don't want to say golden era of sports in Vancouver, but you look back, there was a point where the Canucks were here, the Grizzlies were here. We had the Greater Vancouver Open for the PGA. The Molson yeah. Indy was here. <laughs> Vancouver, you know, a lot of those events have left and they haven't been able to return. I know even the Canadian right. Open that was held at Shaughnessy a couple of years ago. Um, the players love the course, but I know from a from an event standpoint, it was the numbers were way down compared to events in Eastern Canada. Yeah. Is Do you see a reason? I mean, you, you've obviously been in a unique seat um, at the boardroom table. Is there a reason why Vancouver has not been able to hold on to sort of major league events uh, other than one-offs like the World Juniors or, you know, a FIFA under-19 World Cup? Uh, so uh, you're referring to, uh, I guess I would re call it, so Indy is fairly obvious. The real estate around the area has been chopped up, so it's pretty hard to maintain and build the course while getting support at City Hall. That's another issue. Uh, city uh, city has uh, become less and less uh, willing, I guess, for lack of a better description, to uh, provide uh, the, the, the partnership that's necessary to pull those events off. Um, it, it, um, and so it's funny, I wasn't prepared for this question, but I think I, I, think I have a, a good front row seat. Uh, and, and partnering with the, the said professional team, in the, in the case of the, the Greater Vancouver Open, uh, in that case was the Grizzlies, uh, is you've got a tandem. You've got a, a very high-profile, high-visible professional sports league partnering with the GBO uh, that brought on uh, the sponsorship. Uh, going on to your own to do those events and therefore draw in all the people makes it tough. Uh, you know, it's funny because, uh, you know, the, the Shaughnessy is a fantastic golf course, but you point out the obvious. It's not a great golf course for spectators. Um, and whereas, uh, you know, in Surrey at, uh, at Northview, it's a, it's a no brainer. It's a, one of the big things, but if they had the Canucks, for instance, just to, just throwing it out there, backing a, a, a PGA event, I would imagine that could, it could work again. That, that would be a, in fact, I would, I would, I would bet it would work again. I think that would be a no brainer, but I do think that the, you know, the Indies, a tough one by the virtue of the location. I hope, uh, I, I, I'm, and I, I think the Canucks and the, um, in particular have a unique place in Vancouver right now that they have to try to partner with other events to bring a better vibrant sports activity to the city and major events. That's a, that's a thought. I, I, it's, a, it's a great question. I, I, and I think that probably is a, a pretty 20,000-foot view of it all, but I think that would be something that could make it, make it work. I hope we can get uh, more events like that. In the meanwhile, it's going to be a great, great uh Great to see hockey back, I hope, uh, as early as January, for sure. Well, we, uh, we appreciate your, your forward-looking view in the future and, and also taking a, a trip down memory lane with us, Arthur. Really appreciate it. 
how about this for one quick passing? Let's let's bring the uh, Summer Olympics. Oh, I'm on Wait. board. I'm not swing no. swinging big, Arthur. Well, bring it, bring it with Seattle and Portland, a joint bid. Um, I'd love to see it. We've got all the venues. Three, three great cities. Three great cities and three unique cities. Yep. All, all the venues you need, uh, right? You've got the, the one legacy benefit. It was for sure going to pinpoint in a vision that's been around for a long time, starting with Mike Harcourt, in a vision in, in the Northwest to a high-speed rail connecting our three cities. And then I just dropped the mic. <laughs> Use that analogy twice. I just like the idea of dreaming big, as you say. Yeah, well, we, we love it. Uh, I'm, I, I love the Summer Olympics as well. I would love, mm-hmm. I'd love to see it. Uh, it I, I'm with you. You know what? In this time, uh, given all the things that have happened <laughs> this past year, why not, why not dream big? Uh, really yeah. appreciate it, Arthur. Thank you. Yeah. Perfect, guys.